angels are coming to take me away. <laughs> uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself and then what I'm playing for you and what I chose tonight. Um, uh, I, I started as a sound designer for theater and uh, I was the kind of the kid in high school, I had a real to real deck and did sound for high school shows, went to UC San Diego and wound up being really interested in audio and fortunately found a drama department that was very good and that didn't have too many people that were interested in audio. So mm -hmm. I wound up doing a bunch of shows, uh, went to summer theater and then was extremely fortunate to get a job at the Berkeley Repertory Theater shortly after I graduated college. Wow. And this was a theater that has, and even at that point, had a very, very strong uh, history or, uh, of, of really good sound. Mm -hmm. They were a very small theater at the time, uh, based in a, in a 153-seat theater when I joined in 78. Uh, and, it was, and it was like a converted produce store that had been a house that had been lifted up and then it was a produce store. So the ceilings were, you know, maybe up where a little bit between where the wires and the pipes are here. Mm. So they couldn't really do a lot with sets, but they do a lot with costumes and sound. So there was this, and there were lots of good nooks and crannies to put speakers and, mm. and so we had about five or six reel-to-reel -reel decks up in the booth and switch boxes and wires all over the place. And uh, I had a great time doing that, moving uh, with them to when they opened their, their, third, their first theater on Addison Street. Um, so I got a chance to do well over a hundred uh, theatrical productions over the years at the Rep and at the Old Globe and uh, La Jolla Playhouse. And um, I decided to make this move into the theater, I mean, into the film world uh, about 18 years ago. And so now I'm now doing sound mixing and design for documentaries, independent features, museum installations, uh, all sorts of different things. Mm. What we're listening to, what I, I have playing in the background right now, uh, was the audio track for an installation that was at the uh, Oakland Museum, and it, play, it just closed about a month ago. But it's um, it was a photo exhibit with text that was based on this book, which of course I didn't bring with me, but it was called <laughs> Under the Dragon. Mm. And this book, it's a, it was a really wonderful set of writings and photographs about how different cultures in the Bay Area are, are kind of living together, how we're appropriating things, how we're living together, how we are uh, maybe, you know, I, 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 and it was all based on this photograph of a uh, the Chinese dragon yeah. at the St. Patrick's Day Parade, yeah. but underneath the dragon were these two African-American kids, one mm. on one shoulder, yeah. and, so, and so it was this wonderful kind of, uh, you know, microcosm of what uh, Lonnie Shavelson and Fred Sederberg wanted to do in this exhibit. Lonnie is a, also does a great deal of radio work, and they asked me if I could do a sound component to this exhibit. Mm. Uh, and so I was really interested in doing this. And as a sound designer, which and sound designer for some people, that's like you're trying to give yourself a hoity-toity type of you know, you know, you think you're <laughs> better than the rest of us. And I totally disagree, but. A lot of these people said they come out of the film industry, which was sound supervisor. But as a sound designer, it was an opportunity for me artistically to express myself, to not try to represent the photographs, but try to augment them. And so those things that really interested me the most were things where maybe you'd be approaching something, and you weren't quite, you thought maybe let's like you heard some rap music. And you thought that, oh, that must be African-American rap music, but if you got 
really close and he started listening to the words that's in Cambodian mm-hmm. and so in putting together this 40 minute soundtrack worked very closely with Lonnie who had a lot of things in his library grabbed a, a number of different things from different cultures really worked on how we cross-faded between things what things we uh, how we uh, uh, sequence things Some really, really favorite sounds. Uh, Trolley bus? Barts? Yeah. Uh, down by the bar station, there's a little collage of things happening at the bar station. Yeah. Um, uh, so I uh, recently uh, purchased a Zoom H2, which is a you can record in quadraphonic with it, mm-hmm. and I found it really useful for my film work. It's not the most incredible recorder to ever land on the planet, for, but for its price, and if you're careful about how you make a recording, you can make wonderful recordings mm. with inexpensive equipment. Mm. So we use some of those recordings in this exhibit. I had a wonderful relationship, I have a wonderful relationship with Meyer Sound, and they loaned all of these speakers for the exhibit, so we had these quadraphonic zones wow. throughout the, uh, the exhibit hall. Uh, they were all, all the zones are playing the same thing, but you're, you can o- you're always kind of in between the one A, B, C, and D speakers, mm. if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So what's been playing here? <clears throat> so things I, I'm going to just jump around to later in this piece. Crossfade into my favorite recording I made of Foghorns uh, off of Dickerson Field, mm-hmm. and that I was out recording uh, with my uh, stereo microphone on my laptop a few years ago. And I remember the uh, Marine coming by with his machine gun asking me what I was doing. That was. What's that gun there, Sonny? But listen to how these things crossfade. thought that marching bands were just like high school football games but and to me that was you know yes we're celebrating Chinese New Year's but by God this is a very American quote unquote American thing I have in a China, uh, this uh, 
marching band in there. Notice, we're going to come into a piece of music in a minute. Notice how the, the last note of the foghorn kind of sounds like a bass uh, saxophone. Actually, it's coming up. Anthony Brown did his, uh, a version of uh, Rhapsody in Blue. He pulled out the piano and placed it with traditional Chinese instruments. And so. Play a lot more from that, but I have a few other things I wanted to play. Uh, I am going to play a little bit more of these foghorns while I talk for a minute. <laughs> I love these foghorns. Yeah. So um, I was really, really very happy to be asked to come and share some things. I had just finished working on this thing, so it was really nice to come back and play this. And it's like, so what am I going to play for everybody tonight? And you know, you've got a wonderful history of making all sorts of different recordings and the Nature Sound Society. And, I don't get out deep into the woods very much, and so what? Are, so, so if I hand somebody over for uh, a nice bottle of wine or a great cup of coffee, and my what would I play for them? Oh, you got to hear this! You got to hear this! So I'd play some things that really matter to me, some things that I kind of are unusual. I have a bird I want to recording this recording that I uh, had made in Pennsylvania because I don't know what this bird is, and it sounds like some kind of science fiction bird to me, and maybe somebody will recognize it tonight. Hmm. And, uh, and maybe just talk a little bit about uh, why I like these things so we can talk about it a little bit. Is that fair enough? Yeah, sounds good. Great. Great. So I recorded this for a movie. Hmm. It's called Happily Even After. I, I think it maybe made it to DVD. classic shots of San Francisco and I really wanted to put a fog car mm. off in the distance. Mm. This has been filtered a little bit to kind of clean up some of the traffic noise. You can see the Golden Gate Bridge right there. Mm. I have a friend Wally who loves this recorder and he, he says this calms him down. Mm. Mm. Is that your drive that you're getting in the 
Pardon me? Is the Trachomized Doyle Drive? Yeah. I think it's the bridge, actually. Oh, okay. Maybe a little bit of Doyle, but it's, okay. it's kind of pointed towards the bridge as best I could with a mm -hmm. uh, audio technical stereo microphone, the kind of squarish or mm -hmm. rectangular head one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah the, mm -hmm. the one with the balanced end. I tend to use that as my stereo microphone for the most part. Mm -hmm. There's a sa Sangin? Sangin? Mm -hmm. One, there's, there's a shot, stereo shotgun I heard it about a year or two ago that I'm dying to get, but... Check, check out the AT before. The AT? The AT makes it short. I just heard it the other, somebody brought it the other day, and I've, I've evaluated the Sangin, and it's stereo, but, but like, there isn't any kind of directional field. It's just kind of three-dimensional. You know, the stuff in the middle is in the middle of the shotgun. Right. The stereo part of it is... Kind of vague, but the AT, the, the short shotgun audio technica, um, it, it seems to image. Um, no, no. Um, this is a, um, a I don't remember. It's like the stereo, stereo. Yeah. forty, yeah. whatever it is. Right? Um, it's sort of like the stereo version of that. Yeah, it's a stereo short shotgun. Forty seventy three or whatever. It is. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Mm. This is a wonderful. Uh, uh, to, to me, one of the things I love about this recording is that. Uh, it's almost like the reverberation has as much to say as the sound itself. Yeah. It talks about it. it gives you a sense of the, the space and the distance. How loud was this when you were actually recording it? What do you record? Listen to things on my headphones louder than what's going on, so I can really mm. focus on what's mm. happening. Mm. Mm. I think the big one is the Golden Gate Bridge, and the two ones is Twinkle I believe you're right, somebody else has said that. museum project was when I was collaborating with Lonnie. Lonnie comes to this radio world where everything has got to happen really quickly. Mm -hmm. Your story may be three minutes long. Yeah. And, and I say, no, we're in a museum. We want people to linger. We want to give people a chance to hear stuff. So most of our segments were two to two and a half minutes long in different areas that we, we would sit on. And it was an interesting thing to say, you got to let this breathe a little bit. you got to give people mm -hmm. a chance to relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and the radio is really short. No, radio is really short. Right? No, so, no, minor half-hour Well, well, but most radio yeah. pieces, let's say for BBC or right. NPR, yeah. are pretty short. Yeah, but not all of them are. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, no, absolutely. It's a. It was a remarkable thing where I was sitting in the museum, seeing all these photographs on the wall, and when we turned on the sound for the first time, it's as if the colors ran off the page. Mm. As if it was as if the images were also filled in in the back. Mm. I, mean, I know this sounds very Northern California, woo woo, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> not for German, is it? But uh, it uh, it was uh, one of the few times where sound really was so dramatically altered what was happening inside a space 
for me. It was, uh, and mm. Lonnie, who's the photographer, had been totally agreed. It wasn't like, well, my work's pretty damn good, isn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't the case at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, any questions so far? Mm. Am I talking too much? Not at all. I, I was curious just hearing you talk about like uh, the process of composing and leaving room for people to linger. In the, to what extent you consider like the spatiality of the layout of the final exhibit and where people were going to likely to be staying in terms of chunking it, uh, as opposed to it's something we listen to here, which is we're hearing it, you know, absent any movement or any of the images. So we're just listening to it purely as a sound piece. But I'm wondering to what extent the composition was was influenced or constrained by the awareness of how people were likely to move through the exhibit or explore it. Or uh, it's a good question. Uh, um, well, first off, we it was the room the the exhibit space was kind of one kind of long room that kind of led into a larger room. And the photographs kind of broke the space up so there were different streets or avenues almost that you could go down. And initially our thought was, well, maybe we'll have like the Chinese New Year over here, and then we'll have this thing playing over there, and then we'll just let, as it is in the real world, things kind of mix in the middle. So I went to a warehouse that was right near where my office is and set up a boom bo a couple of different boom boxes and uh, clock mm -hmm. radio. and, and and, and it's a relatively uh, reverberant space in the, in the warehouse, and just listened and walked around to hear how things, and it was just too chaotic. And that, so we decided in, instead it was that we'd have these different zones, but everything would be playing the same thing. Mm -hmm. We had one area that was kind of the central plaza of the exhibit, and there were some benches kind of in a horseshoe mm -hmm. uh, arrangement, and that was the hot spot. Mm -hmm. Those four speakers that were pouring into that space were playing it a little bit louder uh, so that you did have a choice of, if you realized it, that this was the place you could really sit down and just listen for a while. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I, I had a hard time coming up with the content until I kind of saw the photographs. And then it's like, and I, and it, is this organized? How is this organized? Coming from this theater world, you're often, as a sound designer, you know, you're not really leading the show. You're taking your clues from the discussions they've already had about costumes and set. And so I, I and uh, it rarely is like, damn it, this show is all about sound. Mm. It's like usually sound is the poor cousin in just about every field. But mm. so I felt like I really needed to get a grasp better of what the photographs and how everything was going to be laid out. When it became apparent. Uh, that there really was, there wasn't a lot. We didn't want to connect sounds too much to specific photographs. I kind of just envisioned certain photographs and came up with some things to always hold on to, like that example of rap music that you think is going to be African American but isn't. We never had any recording like that in here, mm. but that was those things were. And then we just started throwing sounds up into Pro Tools. We'd work on little sections, put it in. What do you think we should do next? Well, there's a little bit too much liturgical stuff, so let's let's pull this over the side. And there's plenty of things to do in one abusing. Mm. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Mm. So, um, the next thing I wanted to play for you is just uh, uh, I did this movie called Harrison Montgomery recently, and uh, and it took, a lot of it takes place in the Tenderloin. And so, when there were scenes where this young girl is out on the fire escape, and so I wanted to really get the sense that when she was in the fire escape, she was kind of like it was a place to escape, and it was wide open to the world. So, 
she was ever on the wherever on the fire escape, uh, I was using these quad quad recordings that I had made the uh, the uh, the Zoom, and uh, it helped to open up things fairly well. And we talk about a nature recording and things we love about it. Do we talk? We talk about how things are spaced out and. I heard this owl over here, and look, it's, you can hear the wings flapping over here, or there's a stream over there, and placing things. So now this is a bunch of people kind of yelling at folks and yelling down the street to people. It's like 11 o'clock at night. But yet near the end of this little clump here, there's some girls singing outside the liquor store. And so, I don't know, I hope bad language doesn't offend people, but there's a little bit of that in here. And I don't know why I, I just... Felt like I, you know, these recordings were kind of interesting to me. I was there. There I was in my minivan with the the, the moonroof open just enough, and the mic stand there and sticking out. So <laughs> kept them kind of making sure people weren't pissed off that I was there. There we go. discreet reporting.
but I'm gonna stop this for a second. Um, but when you listen to that, you know, it's still going. Yeah. So there's some really subtle things happening there. There's some really, obviously, really, really big things happening there. And in working on movies or working on films, uh, it, there's just actually kind of like a lot of meat there. It's things that, depending on the situation, you're going to keep in or you're going to lose, depending on how much of an ambience it is. You may not need the bus in there except for a very specific moment, but to kind of help place outside. Mm even from inside we would I would play some of this material filtered to sound like it was coming through a window. And in fact I thought I could basically just go to Telegraph Avenue in the evening and record some stuff and it would just work for for the tenor line. <laughs> what a honky I am. So uh, and, uh, so I mean I, I there's a few things I I got that were okay, but Telegraph got kind of quiet at about ten o'clock. Mm. You go to the tenderloin, I mean at eleven thirty, twelve things are just kind of getting going, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so yes. Um, I never worked in quadraphonic. I don't understand how you take stereo recording, which this is, for instance. This is actually a quadraphonic recording. So how you? So the, the zoom. Well, the zoom has got two stereo. It's got four elements on it. And okay, so you're actually recording in quadraphonic. Yeah. With four mics. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it basically, it, it looks, you know, it isn't too much bigger than this book. And there's and there's two uh, mic elements that are at mm. 90 on the front and at 120 in the back. Mm. But you can record all four. And, you know, with a little bit of balancing and stuff, you know, it does a, it does a, uh-huh. Oh. Is that it? Thank you, yeah, that's oh, it. Oh, wow. Yes. So when you when you lose this, because you will lose this, uh, <laughs> you can get other Very ones at, at yeah at uh, Leo's. So where are the elements? So the elements, uh, if you need to say, <laughs> it's up. Uh, it doubles. Yeah. So no, I'm not sure. Take with it this morning. Yeah. So the front elements are, are here. Mm. We're ones there. These are the uh, 120, and the, these are at the 90. Oh wow. Okay. Um, cool. It's a fairly cool recorder. Yeah. Uh, you kind of have to hit the record button twice to get it actually into record, which mm. can kind of screw you up occasionally. So, mm. and <coughs> I have a hard time with my reading glasses reading the display. But uh, you also make quadraphonic by taking mono or stereo and just placing things on four tracks. Well, sometimes, like I, I did a, a documentary recently about the rainforest, and mixing for five one is actually a great deal of fun, but it's also a challenge. And, where do you choose to put things? Because you want to have a reason for doing everything you're doing. Um, and so I decided that that what I'd like to do is anything those archival recordings that had sound, it would be stereo right at the center, kind of like old, you know, school, you know, movies and stuff, everything's 16 millimeter and mono and there's no high end in it because 16 millimeter doesn't have high end. That when we were interviewing people, uh, talking heads that were outside, we'd hear stereo ambiences in the background, as well as whatever was captured coming into the center speaker. But when we went into the rainforest, mm-hmm. when we were underneath those trees, we would hear sounds all around us. To really kind of help make it all really come alive, to really make it that much more special. Um, I had no quadraphonic recordings, but what I chose to do is that uh, take stereo recordings and the things that were a little bit busier, 
I'd have on the left right speakers with a little bit panned to the rears. And then I would take much more subtle ambiences like bugs that were a fairly constant tone and have them playing out of the rear speakers but bled a little bit into the front. And so it's kind of a cheat. But theatrically, I mean, it makes complete sense. It's mm-hmm. four track mix, not mixed down stereo, but it's not Yeah, so I. Mm-hmm. Front and back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it, it works work really good. If, you always, if you're mixing for film or video or wherever, and this is where the theater training comes back, that it's all about the actors. It's all about uh, paying attention to the human beings for the most part. And uh, that in theater, there's always a challenge of how to get sound and speakers upstage of the actors. Because you wanted your audience to uh, listen through the actors to get to your sound. And that would always keep them in the forefront. Uh, so, and then there was idea as well, if we're having scene change music, or if we're having music that's playing during intermission, put it on speakers down in the house. Pull the focus away from the stage. So, uh, anybody who likes, somebody just happened to have this book lying around, I did a, uh, I had the really great fortune to do a book with a, my friend Dina many years ago about how to do sound and music for theater. Well, not the, not how to do it, but talking about the aesthetics mm-hmm. and techniques of doing sound and music for theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really trying to get into this is a microphone and this is how it works, but why do you choose sounds? How do you make those choices? Mm-hmm. What's the history of all of this? You know, and we came up with a couple of treatises, uh, and one of them was that Basically, every sound has a function, and every sound has an emotion. Mm-hmm. And if you understand what's called for, and uh, in any given moment, if you know those two things, you usually make very good choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my little plug. Your uh, tenderloin thing reminded me of something. There's a wonderful soundscape, San Francisco soundscape that's extinct. And I just remember hearing it. It was well, I was a lighting designer. At the time, <coughs> so I didn't I didn't record it. Nor nor was Walkman had to come out. It's around 61, 62 when I was going to USF. I would take the five McAllister to go downtown. You know, so I would cross uh, Fillmore on the McAllister. And in the Fillmore there, there was street light. And there was this street, what the movies call Walla. There was this really intense human vocal pattern that was just everywhere. You know, everyone was out on the steps, on the street, talking and gabbing and, you know, flirting with girls and drunks hollering. And, you know, it was just, it was quite dense. And you would go through that on the 5 McAllister bus in the, you know, when you crossed through the, through the Fillmore District. And that's gone away. As traffic has increased, people have gone off the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sure wish I could have recorded that. Because mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. Manhattan still has. Mm-hmm. That recorded there, you get down a little bit of lane and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that. Not too much traffic and lots of people on the street. Yeah. Everybody's talking to everybody. Mm-hmm. Which, I, which I had a documentary about a year ago called um, The Rape of Europa. And it was about how Hitler had tried to plunder all the great artwork of Europe and where he stored it and how they tried to hide it from him and such. And lots of old newsreel footage, but a lot of it, uh, I had to recreate the sounds that mm-hmm. were there because. The newsreels had, you know, Ed Hurry or whatever, you know, talking over it. And uh, boy, was I happy that I had never thrown out my sound effects records. Mm. So when I first started in theater, I had the BBC sound effects records, probably about 50 records. 
And so I just went through them, just looking at them, and I had somebody transfer all these different, because they were just low enough quality and just kind of vintage that there was a lot of things there that I could pull from. Mm. Pulled from that, pulled from other newsreels. Uh, also taking new sounds and basically rolling off the sound above, anything above 3K tend to make it sound kind of old. Mm. Uh, so that's one of the actually the fun things about doing sound for films. When you've recreated something and somebody thinks, oh, well, it was recorded right then and there. <laughs> but it was completely replaced. Yeah. You know, they say, is that production or is that sound? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Let's see. Um, so one of the other things that, uh, that were recorded... Um, for the uh, museum project. So I wanted to get a recording of somebody's dinner. You know, we all, most of us sit down for dinner unless we're eating in our cars on the way to work or something, but what does it sound like? What, you know, what, does dinner at your house say, sound the same as dinner at your house? Does, does dinner at someone's house in Chinatown sound different than in the mission? Well, to an extent, a little bit. There's different utensils for some people. Some people are using forks. Some people are using their hands. Some people are using chopsticks. Mm -hmm. Some people are... So, I, uh, I, I, there's a woman that was uh, helped me out a little bit, and she's East Indian. And I asked her to take the Zoom, and I sound like I'm advertising for this microphone. They should be giving me big butts. Um, and we hung... I had her... I, tried, I showed her how to use it. And she hung uh, the Zoom over the dining room table for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and so I have about three hours worth of record. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I condensed about three hours worth of recordings down to about two minutes in the exhibit. Wow. But if you, one was to listen carefully, there are people speaking German. They're, they're, they're not everybody speaking English. But it starts off with a kind of classic dad going like this and saying, here's what I'm grateful for. And you hear the kids screaming, and then later in the evening, there's somebody playing piano off in the next room. And I condensed all those kind of things down. And for me, it's like, you know, you, uh, well, it said something. I have some outtakes from that. I thought I'd just play it again.
about this recording. You got the screaming kid, but you know, I, you can turn it off if you want to. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but the family together and all these different people and mm. somebody's off playing the piano. And, uh, mm. It's kind of like that. Mm. I want to jump to a couple of other things. And 
So one of the recordings I dug up today was my the backyard of uh, the house that I grew up in. Mm. And my mom moved a few a few years ago, so I made this recording, and uh, then after she moved, I realized, well, I've, I've always had this recording. Mm. That's just, it's a nice hot summer night in suburban New York, and I rolled off a little bit of the traffic, traffic but... Uh, mm. happy if they're playing something better. They're not friends of yours, are they? Uh, that's a band called Sweet Crude Bill. Sweet Crude Bill. <laughs> <laughs> now, next couple of recordings, well, this next recording I want to play. So my aunt Jeanette lived in Maryland. And, uh, and uh, when she was kind of a little bit older, she moved to this place called Ocean Pines near the eastern shore of Maryland. And, but it was right on a golf course. She played golf. And I went out there with my Sony D5M, which was, boy, was that a damn good cassette recorder in the day. And uh, my two Radio Shack microphones, my two Radio Shack PZM microphones. So basically they're unbalanced microphones, but with a, familiar with PZM, they're kind of a flat plate, uh, kind of a squarish plate. And there's an element that's sitting on top of it and there's an opening just at the bottom, so all sounds basically reflect 
off the plate into the microphone, mm. especially good for low frequency recordings when they're on a big uh, wall or floor, but supposedly the technology you know better than I can produce pretty flat or really good recordings. And uh, so there wasn't much more beyond my going to a uh, water hazard and you know, little kind of little bridge just on one side where the one railing was and one where the other one was laying these the, my microphones down mm. and setting a level and, and going. But, uh, but I've used these over the years. I loved my internet. She was my like auntie Mame. She was uh, we were really good buddies. I later in her life she moved to Las Vegas. And I used to go there and smoke cigarettes and go to the uh, casinos with her. <laughs> and so they say that sound and smell are those things that really bring back memories very very strongly. Yeah. And not that Aunt Antoinette was there when I was making these recordings, but these are kind of like my Antoinette frogs. <laughs> so uh, I've gotten them into a David Lynch movie. I've gotten them placed a few other places, kind of like Arthur C. Clarke's uh, Ashes Going Up Into Space for me, but um, that's a little bit of a tinny recording, but um, Eastern Shore. water hazard these fireflies that are blinking on and off and balmy like it is tonight. There's a couple more things I'd like to play. So, Smithsonian's not going to be asking for that recording. But in the keeping with kind of, let's sit down with a glass of wine or talk, it's just a, it's a favorite sound. Mm. And um, 
I think most of us that are here tonight are here because we really like the sound in it. You know, I, I I wish I didn't have the traffic in the background, but yeah, I guess that's what the microphone picked up. Mm-hmm. Is that tonal, like the tonal swells, that's uh, distant traffic? Yeah, that one thing sounded like there was a truck off. It's that's like a pure tone, it's almost like a hum, like a resonant. It's one of the sounds I actually really kind of like putting in a movie, especially at nighttime <clears> in the <throat> desert or such as that distant freeway. Mm. I have a actually really kind of cool recording I did for a theater piece, and uh, it was uh, somewhere near Stockton, and I had two microphones on the roof of the car this time, and one of them was pointed towards some frogs, and the other one was pointed towards the highway that was about five miles away. And there's that, you know, those truck tires, and they're whine, and the engine they really carries for a long time, and it is rather kind of tonal. Mm. And things that say kind of, you know, uh, 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 freight train whistles, train whistles in general, they're kind of, some people are very, very uh, uh, sentimental about them. If you're right next to the tracks, you probably don't quite feel that way, but that lonesome train way off in the distance, (laughs) again, it's a sense of actually how far away the sound is, really kind of filling in the space in between, Mm. between you know what the sound is, boy, that must be good, that's going to be miles away. And there's something kind of cool about that. Mm. I don't especially like hearing the BART trains in the Oakland Hills. Uh, that isn't, to me, doesn't sound really as beautiful as the trains that are, the freight train whistles that are on sometimes tracks that are fairly close by. I don't like that scraping to the wheels, but. Mm. In fact, Sarah and I just moved up to a house up in the top of the Oakland Hills. Mm. And uh, it's much quieter up there. It's not nearly the, the kind of the roar of the city. But yet the other night, is that a train? Not a bar train. No, just a, a yeah, 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 the train whistle. And it's like, first time we had ever really heard it up there. Well, mm-hmm. I'm about halfway up, and I hear the train down by the bay up in the hills. Yeah. It reflects up in the hills and comes down. So I hear it coming from the wrong direction. I hear it coming down from the hills. Oh, really? Which is mm-hmm. amazing. Wow. Because it, yeah, wow. it just it bounces. So it bypasses me and bounces off the hills. That's one of the things with sound walls is that they block things, but sometimes they throw sounds, you know, <laughs> down to, you know, yeah, further away. That's Calvin, what do you hear outside your house? Where do you live? Oh, I live right next to the Muni, one of the main Muni tracks, so I hear them roaring almost 20 hours a day. Really? Yeah. It took me about a couple of years to get used to, you know, hearing them go by without disturbing, I mean, my sleep. But uh, that's, that's mainly what that's that's mainly what I hear. Uh, I don't hear any insects <laughs> or anything at all uh, like that. Not 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 like where I grew up, which was in Southern California, but which was more of the um, the last piece that you play. Mm-hmm. You know, with uh, summer. It, uh, just right. just kind of reminds me very much of just you know summertime, just very pleasant memories. You know, peeling an orange and just eating it. You know, while the sun's going down, yeah. things like that. So, uh, same time I was in Maryland.
well, how do I screw this up good and make it really wonderful? <laughs> and so and I, when I dialed it in, which was not the easiest, it was like, a little slice of heaven. Oh, yeah. Mm. Totally mm. fooling people. Mm. So I have a, my last re, uh, recordings I wanted to play. Uh, I was in the, in the uh, Poconos, and I heard this bird, and I don't know what this bird is, and I'll point it out to you. Maybe somebody will recognize it. But I thought Ivory it was Bell. so cool. Hmm? Ivory Bell. <laughs> Ivory Bell? Ivory Bell Woodpecker. Thank you. I'll go ahead and call that one right now. Wow, this is good. This is like me. Okay. And so I just had my micro track. And, uh, and, and this is on my friend's property, and there's a very, very narrow creek, but I can't get across in my wheelchair. And I just. Ask my friend Wendy here. It's on. Mm. Take it. You hear that bird out here? <laughs> Just go lit this down in the meadow for, you know, and then come on back. We'll have some wine and then go back and get it later. And it wasn't too bad of a recording mm. for what it was. It's a little fussy. down to the boys in the lab. Yeah, <laughs> run, it th run it through the database. <laughs> so actually, we, there's a little bit of a stream noise in here. And sat down and shared sounds with people before. This is kind of fun, and I just, yeah. uh, you know, anyway. Uh, 12-step program in reverse. What's that? <laughs> it's a 12-step program in reverse. Yeah, dragging me in deeper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, I'm all... We're here to reinforce your habit. Yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Jim, and I'm not screwed up enough yet. Yeah. <laughs> but you will be. <laughs> What's your next project? Um, I'm working on a. I'm doing a mix on a documentary that's dealing. Uh, that's it's, it's trying to shed a light on world slavery. Mm. And this guy came back from being in Russia, where his interpreter. He was a, in a band. His interpreter was saying, "Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful young woman. Well, these guys have got me a job back in America. I'm going to be leaving in the fall." I'll look you guys up when I get to the States. I don't know where I'm going to be working. And this 
this guy, Justin, looked into it and somehow figured out this woman was basically going to be sold into sex labor. That and that this is going on, and the abuse of children, especially in Southeast Asia, is really a a huge problem. And just started digging into this, and has come up with a documentary. It's got some really amazing talking heads like Madeleine Albright and um, Mm. a few other, a bunch of other people, some hidden camera footage, and uh, um, and sort of doing like a benefit concert to help raise awareness. Kind of went around the country, recorded different people playing in studios. And uh, they're going to try to four-wall it, which means, you know, run out the movie theaters themselves, and they've gotten some interest, but um, I never, I really don't donate my time, but I was just kind of drawn to this piece. Doing that, uh, just finished a project on the competitive uh, supermarket baggers, and I've got a documentary about this guy named <laughs> Trimpin. Yeah. Trim- Do you know Trimpin? Oh, just like the fire organ and stuff. Yeah, there's, he does all these different sound installations. Are you familiar with Trimpin? Um, uh, anyway, there's a gentleman who's been working on this for about a couple of years, and I'm going to be doing the sound design and mixing on this. And uh, Here's the man that doesn't want his, any, any of his sound installations recorded because he doesn't believe that they, anything could be reproduce them well enough mm. and it's my job to do the sound design on a movie about it so I guess maybe I've arrived I don't know where else you'll find me hanging somewhere and, uh, but uh, Bill Perkins who a lot of you might know has made some uh, recordings uh, it's a collaboration with the Cornish Quartet that's part of it so uh, some of the documentaries I really love doing a lot are ones that involve music as well as you know, information and such. So, uh, did a documentary about uh, the. Uh, There's a documentary about the mounting of the Dr. Atomic uh, Opera. It was about Evan Teller, and uh, so had these great recordings to work with, and John Adams' music. And do you know what production? It was about the production out here. Mm. At the mm. Mm. Opera. Mm. So actually, it was a really good documentary. Uh, yeah. So. Those are the things that are kind of coming down the pike. A few more documentaries. Is that the process? The Dr. Tomic piece that documentary's done. So um, it's gonna. I, I, I think it's good for PBS sometime down the road, and they're gonna try to. Uh, it's gonna be playing in New York and LA, so they can get themselves in the running for the Academy Award. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sometime soon. But again, a kind of a cool thing to mix five one and where do you put things? And how do you do it? And I've done t- uh, last year, or actually the fall before last year. I did two documentaries, almost back to back, that dealt with the atomic bomb. And so, what does that sound like? Well, there's a, this kind of classic atomic bomb recording we have in our electro sound effects records and <laughs> and such. And and not being really sure how close to the mark any of that was, I did some research, and in essence, a lot of the sound came from just the fact that the air almost like thunder. They, you know, the air just gets blown away and then snaps back and so trying to come up with stuff that was more accurate but yet people would recognize as being that sound as opposed to something that could have been a little bit more accurate and mm. but people wouldn't get mm. so work in just how do we deal with a bomb in one film versus another one mm. it was, uh, wow. and then especially Dr. Atomic because we had all these images of explosions and different shots of vintage footage of like the incredible 900 mile per hour winds ripping paint off of airplanes and stuff 
making sure that whatever tonal qualities are in the wind, you're going to work with the music. Um, oh, wow. uh, and trying to never get in the way of the music, but yet support those things when they need to be supported. Mm. And sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. So, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, so I could talk about this stuff for hours. I remember when I, when I used to hear shuttle launches or space launches before that, there'd be all this clipping. <coughs> Those guys, they don't know how to pad their microphones, you know? Well, then I learned that when a big rocket takes off, the air clips. Because, you know, you can go over pressure with air up to the point where it liquefies. Okay, that's what happens with overpressure. But under pressure, you know, the, the rarefication part of the wave clips when it hits vacuum. Mm -hmm. You know, so if, if a sound is loud enough, it clips because the negative. Well, you're clipping the medium. The negative, you're, you're clipping the air. You're clipping the air because it goes to zero pressure. It can't mm. go beyond that. Mm. And that's why. Really, and that's why when you hear a shuttle launch, you hear all this, all this popping and crackling and, and clipping sound. It's the air clipping. Mm. That's what that sounds like. Yeah. I've heard that about jet engines too. I never knew that. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I always made the same assumption. Yeah. Wow. When I used to have interns at the Berkeley Rep, um, the first day they were there, I would just take them around the theater and I would, let's say I had this nice engine ring, and I'd you know, find a pipe and say, see, that makes noise. So hear that resonances, how they you know, have the resonance of that pipe. Here, you know, look at this. If we rush this, see how the sound is going up and down this piece of metal. Just to try to open up people's minds about sound being around them, different things that can make sound. Uh, not trying to be geeky about it, but okay, you're going to be an intern for nine months with me. This is where I'm coming from. These are the things we think about. And uh, this is why it's kind of fun to, I mean, on one hand, these are not audiophile recordings I played for you, but try to discuss tonight the emotional aspects of this, or what was kind of cool to me. Because every, like, like for instance, everybody has a, I believe everybody has a favorite sound. Like, what's your favorite sound? Um, a bird that I could not know in English. What is it in German? Kibitz. It's, um... <sighs> Is there something like a rain pipe of my family of birds? Rain pipe? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> uh, anyway, it makes something like kiwi, kiwi. <laughs> uh -huh. And why do you yeah. like that sound? Because it sounds, it, 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 they are the, among the first birds that wake up in the morning, mm. and then they make the sound before all the, the other birds start. Uh -huh. And it's, it's so out of the normal. Uh, yeah, it's sort of different from all the other birds that, that are, you know, and, Mm. That's why I like it most. Mm. What's your favorite sound? Mine, frogs. Frogs? Why? Because it's just, there's something very comforting about them. Frogs and crickets. Oh yeah, she got a great frog recording last year down at the, uh, what was the name of that preserve? I guess the Kern River. Kern River Preserve. We were finishing up the recording tonight, and in the entrance there was this little bridge, and there was this group of frogs that were so loud, it was like 90 dB. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we recorded <clears throat> uh, Frogs depress me because um, they, they are a very strong memory of my childhood and they've disappeared from where I grew up. 
there are no frogs anymore in this ground. Where? Bethesda. Mm. It used to be all forested. Now it's just a little bit. the frogs mm. oh, What's your favorite song? Is it probably whales? Okay, I, I want to hear the rest of the room real fast, not why, but just... I think it might be diesel freight whistles <laughs> across the valley. Okay. The song that came to mind for me is that uh, a fairy sound that gets tonal. It's like real, a lot of noise, and then as it slows down, there's a transmission line. And that's the one that, that came, came to mind. A fairy? Yeah. Wow. How about you? Oh, it's the, the sound of water in the metal cup as the water's moving. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> now, do you know why? Um, it has a really nice sweep to it. Okay. Alright. I like, uh, well, it's funny because I really mean, thought of specific moments, like things I've recorded that were really important, but just generically, I, the first thing that popped to mind was the sound of uh, going over uh, train tracks between the cars. When you're like crossing between the cars and you can stand on the junction, and you get all the reflections in the room, but then also you get a very like the, movement of the, you, you hear each, when there's like slight differences in the disjunctions between the rails, you hear them ripple from in front of you and then whip by you and then recede in the difference and when you pass like, you know, uh, train crossings where the road intersects and you hear like the Doppler effect as you whip by. Okay. But, uh, but the, then there's something about the, uh, the high, part, S, high, high SPL in there, I think, that like kind of puts me into a trance, the combination of the rhythm and the volume, <laughs> complexity of the reflections. Scott? Um, yeah, I was going to say, it's sort of hard to say. I mean, there's a couple that have a lot of meaning. Like, I, for a film, I recorded these doors in my mother's house. The house isn't around anymore. But the, but what the sound squeak, really just It's a squeak of the thing. Um, that's probably, yeah, that's a sound I really like. The, the door? The, the door. <laughs> there's um, a whole bunch of them in there. Calvin, right? Uh, yes, uh, I'd say certain chimes or certain bells, um, like an upside down bell. That's the bell that's about that you know big, and you strike it, it just it just resonates. Mm-hmm. So if you yeah, ask, like thank you. Yes. Yeah, similar. So if you ask most people yeah. who are not these people in this room, sixty to seventy percent of the people in my informal poll will say something that has to do with water. Mm. Be it rain, a river, um, and uh, but literally at, at least 50%, uh, but I think it's probably closer to 70. And I've always thought that, well, maybe it has to do with that with the fact that we're, when we're inside our mother's womb that we're surrounded by fluid or something. And my favorite sound is uh, a gas-powered lawnmower. A couple of doors away. <laughs> I love the sound of hearing a lawnmower a couple of doors away. And it reminds me of when I was a little kid in Westchester County on the first kind of like warmish day in May. And it was probably close to my birthday. And it's a bright Saturday and dad's going to make pancakes. And the sky is blue. And some neighbor down the street is mowing their lawn. And for some reason that's just really an evocative sound that... I just really, really love. Mm. So I find it interesting that we all kind of have these kind of different sounds and some of them kind of mechanical and full of metal, but maybe that's why maybe we're a little bit different in what, we, what we're really drawn to, and therefore that we're here tonight. Mm. Mm. Beautiful.
Well, I have nothing much more to say. Does anybody have any questions? Well, thank you. Shall we take a break? Did anybody bring anything to play? Okay. Did anybody bring anything to play that I don't want to mention because they would? <laughs> 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 I, I have a couple things from H2 that I could play. I haven't planned on anything. Uh -huh. yeah. mm -hmm. Good. I have tons of stuff I could play. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.